Hello and welcome to A History of Christian Theology. My name is Chad Kim. With me this week will be Dr. Ben Quinn. Uh, Dr. Quinn has written a new book, Christ the Way, um, Augustine's Theology of Humility with Lexham Press. He is also a professor of theology at Southeastern Bast. Uh, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, we talk a little bit about the importance of Augustine in theological education and even his uh, place in our own formation. We have quite a few podcasts coming up, including some of the older style where I talk with Tom and Trevor about various things that we are thinking about or reading. Uh, we also have many other author interviews. Um, and so I just wanted to let you know about what's coming forward. Also, we uh, have reached over 100 likes, uh, or excuse me, reached over 100 uh, ratings and reviews on iTunes, so I appreciate you doing that. Um, so yeah, for those of you who haven't, if you rate, review us on iTunes, it's supposed to help people find the podcast. Uh, we also have a new website made by our assistant, Grant Bellchamber, uh, www.ahistoryofchristiantheology.com. Um, so Go have a look at that. We have some transcripts and links and other things there, um, some more information about our episodes. So without any further ado, here's my interview with Dr. Ben Quinn. Sort of, uh, you know, and, and I when you, when I heard you say, uh, be wise men, of course, uh, you know, that's so for for listeners, uh, if you haven't seen this already, uh, Dr. Quinn's book is Christ the Way, Augustine's Theology of Wisdom. Um, and so, you know, so that is exactly what this book is, which is, uh, I think, as I understand it, c comes from his dissertation, probably edited uh, to mm -hmm. some extent. Um, but uh, it's it's also. I love hearing that story because the way that you connect your own life to August to understanding of Augustine's theology of wisdom is similar. Uh, you, your title is Christ the Way. Um, so uh, I th so last time I talked with Catholic U, uh, they were going to publish my book as. Uh, uh, St. Augustine, uh, The Way of Humility, St. Augustine's mm -hmm. Theology of Preaching. Um, mm -hmm. And so we both are going to have way in the title um, yeah. of of the book. And for you, uh, it's it's this uh, understanding of wisdom and how that connects to your own background. For me, it, uh, the challenge of my life was always pride. Um, and so when I read Augustine, one thing that I read as a younger guy before I'd done my dissertation was Augustine struggling with pride um, mm -hmm. and the need for Christ's humility. And so that was one of the things that one of my spiritual mentors always challenged me with. Um, and, and you could probably tell even through some of the way that I've told my own story, there was a lot of hard headed uh, pride in my own life. I thought I knew better. Um, and uh, uh, so, you know, so for me, too, like, I don't know what it is about Augustine, but it does feel like there's no figure quite like him in church history who can really touch um you know, touch the, our lives. Like, and, and, you know, I've had count, you know, numbers of students who I take them through the confessions. If I teach like the intro to theology class and they're like, eh, I don't really like theology, but I connected to his story. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and that's, that is one of the great things to me about Augustinian studies is whatever you, th you know, I'm not, he's not perfect. Uh, we don't have to agree with everything, but man, no one captivates and tells their story quite like Augustine. No, that's absolutely right. And that's so at, at Southeastern, we have an undergraduate program and we still have kind of a uh, a light version of a, a great ideas or great books type program that all of our undergraduates have to do. So at least four semesters of history of ideas or great books. And even still, one of our professors who's been teaching in that for probably 25 years now, every year will ask his students, OK, of all the of all the great books or all the history of ideas readings, what was your favorite? And Augustine's Confessions 
I mean, just massively outweighs the rest. And it's exactly what you said, Chad. It's not because people so agree with Augustine or anything else, but because he was so long ago, you know, we're talking 1600 years and yet so relevant. I mean, you read the confession Mm -hmm. and you're like, this could have been in the journal today, you know, Um, from someone so honest, but also so articulate and eloquent and and just bearing their soul before. And, And in many ways, I'm not in any way going to put this next to the Psalms or the Proverbs, but in many ways, just like the Psalms will sometimes give us the vocabulary for prayer. I don't know about you. Sometimes I read through the Psalms and I'm like, David, you can't say that. You're not supposed to say that. <laughs> but it's, there it is in the scriptures. Well, sometimes Augustine, especially in confessions, will do the same. He'll just provide mm. for us. That's what I was trying to say. That's how I was trying to pray. Mm. And, and I think he's probably catechized and discipled more Baptist than, than maybe we're, we're honest <laughs> about. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was not only how he would pray, but like, I, I, I mean, I always go back to book four when he loses his friend. Um, yeah. And he talks about how all I wanted to feel was grief. Um, and that was, but even that was never satisfying. Yeah. Um, but that was, that was all I thought I wanted. And I, you know, and, and, but it would never, there was never end. There was no end to it. There was no yeah. um, satiating that. And yeah. and I remember like, I, I lost a friend of mine um, in high school and I was like, I get that. Like, yeah. I was, you know, I can, yep, you know, 1600 years ago, apparently, um, you know, young people felt exactly like I did. How bizarre. (laughs) Yeah. You know, another, I I didn't tell this part and and bear with me, this may be longer than you mean for it to be, but um, another part of of reading confessions, and this, this came, I think after that, that experience I was talking about from my junior year of college. But later on, as I read the, the confessions in full, you know, Augustine, the great story of him stealing from the, stealing the pears. Mm hmm. And and that I actually was gripped like I thought someone someone's got a camera on me or something at the moment because Augustine is telling the story of here he is. He's he's sort of with friends. He's home from school while his parents are trying to figure out how to pay to finish his school, you know, and there's a bit of peer pressure where they're stealing the pears uh, and for no good reason. And he he basically says it as like, I didn't I didn't need the pears. I didn't want the pears. What I wanted mm-hmm. was to sin. And that that really begins to that's that's sort of that introspective turn that's distinctly yeah. Augustinian of you begin to see that the problem is what I, I tell my kids is the wanter. The wanter is the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, you know, I didn't want the pears. I just wanted to sin. And so he, and, th- and then yeah. he goes on and sort of articulates how he how he felt after that and what he how he experienced that. Well, the the guilty connection for me was. I was probably 14, 13, maybe summertime. Mm-hmm. My parents used to drop us off at the local YMCA and that was our baby. We basically babysat ourselves by hanging out at the Y and playing basketball and baseball, whatever we, you know, whatever we could do, just don't leave the grounds of the YMCA. And that was our babysitting. Well, we're home from school uh, or we're out of school. We're at the Y and there's some friends there. We're all playing basketball. We decide, Hey, let's walk down to the the local convenience store and get, you know, get a Gatorade or whatever. So we mm. did. As we're walking back, there's a, a small little house with an open carport. And we knew that it was an elderly lady that lived there. Mm-hmm. Uh, she lived by herself. And there was a, a refrigerator and freezer on her, car, on her carport. And the guys that I was with said, hey, let's go see what's in that refrigerator. I'm sure that they were hoping it was alcohol or something. I don't, I don't really know, <laughs> but I'm just following along. Um, and we open it up and it's full of hot dogs. The refrigerator is full. I have no idea. It must have been like a July 4th get ready party or something. It was yeah. full of hot dogs. And every one of these guys took a pack of hot dogs. And so foolish me, I did the same. And I didn't I didn't want hot dogs. I didn't need hot dogs. And not a one of us ate a hot dog. We just wanted yeah. to steal them. We just yeah. wanted to yeah. sin. And so I read that from Augusta on the pairs. Yeah. I was like, 
I'm just as guilty. That's exactly, that was exactly my story from just a few years ago, whereas Augustine's telling the same story experience as a, a mischief uh, a teenager, mischievous teenager, you know, and I thought, wow, he, he, he sees this a whole lot better than I do. I could probably learn a lot more from this guy. Yeah. Uh, what, <laughs> very well. That's a, that's a, that's a great, uh, a great connection. Yeah. I, I um, yeah, what it, it is so it is so fascinating how how some of those like I I like those things as a guy who's more interested in history I like those things that make it seem like you know that we're not that far apart because I think sometimes we get that mentality that we've moved so far forward we've we've progressed so much uh, look at what we know now you know and all these things and it's like no I think there still are things to be learned um, and uh, maybe you know like and I I don't want to you know I mean I don't want to deny some forms of scientific progress or whatever else but like i think those are the things that are truly human um yeah. are the things that don't change and 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 it's sometimes it can be hard to get my students to see that right yeah. and so that's what that's why augustine seems to reach out um through the ages and say hey look i'm not that yeah. different from you um yeah. and and you go oh wow yeah you forget uh that that history yeah. isn't just some uh dead thing yeah, absolutely right. And, and uh, maybe Augustine more than others. So I'm not suggesting that Augustine is the most important historical figure, but I, I suspect for many people, Augustine becomes the gateway that then opens up mm. the importance of so much more history. And, and really kind of to your point, it humbles us because then I mean, we look back at someone from so long ago in a very different place from ours. And we think, wow, I, I do have a lot to learn from this guy. Maybe I should maybe I should consider some other old dead guys and, and gals as well. <laughs> Right. Well, so uh, so the topic of the book is wisdom, and I, I don't want to uh, take up uh, all your morning here, although I have quite enjoyed the conversation. But let's uh, – we'll go through a few of the things that, that I wrote to you about specifically. But just uh, – so we have an idea, and actually this is one of those things that you were uh, mentioning earlier. Your dad said, be wise men and make wise decisions. Was that the phrase? Yeah, that uh, right. I feel like I need – I feel like I need to store that away and use that with my son. Um, you know, he's three. He won't. But like, it's like, okay, that's a good one. I, I need yeah, to use start that. early. It'll be a good one. Start early. <laughs> <laughs> I have um, read questions now as well. Go ahead and start reading it to him. It'll be a good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, well, but you said you weren't sure that you'd be able to give a definition of wisdom. Um, and part of this book is essentially an exploration of what does wisdom mean? Um, to some extent, you, you know, you spend most of the time with Augustine, but you do frame it at the end with its comparison to a sort of a, a, uh, an old Testament or sort of more Hebraic idea of wisdom, but maybe can we get started? Like, what are some things that we need to have in mind when we think about Augustinian wisdom? Yeah, it's a great question. So, I, you know, one of the articles that kind of that kind of helped push me forward uh, on this, there was a, a French article uh, written by a guy named Fulbert Kerhe, who who basically um, he wrote this kind of mid 20th century. And he, as I understand, Kerhe is just really kicking up the dust on this important conversation and suggesting, hey, there's a whole lot more study to be done here. And he pulls out something like 31 different principles or aspects of wisdom in Augustine, which, you know, which in one sense for an academic journal article is is a, is just way too much. But I, I so appreciated it because he's just trying to get the conversation started. And by the end of that article, and I'll, I'll, I won't get the details right. I don't have it in front of me. But by the end of that article, he, he sort of anticipates how the conversation is going to go. 
And he says, you know, the philosophers are going to lean too much in this direction, and the historians are going to lean too much in this direction, the Bible scholars are going to lean too much in this direction. And he says of the theologians, he says the theologians are going to lean too much on the Christological emphasis of wisdom in Augustine. And, and so I remembered that. That was informative and kind of offering some direction early on. <clears throat> but then as I, as I went all the way through and progressed through this study, it actually came full circle to me that I realize I'm doing this from the theological perspective. And so maybe I'm just guilty of what he anticipated. But I don't think you can overemphasize the person <laughs> of Christ in Augustine's understanding of wisdom. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, that's where if, you know, if I could have the conversation with, uh, with Fulbert Kerke, I would say, you may be right. Maybe I'm guilty, but I just don't think you can overemphasize it. I really think the, cent- the central thing about wisdom in Augustine is the person of Jesus. So when we see, uh, we read, for example, that uh, that in him, that is Jesus, uh, dwells all the fullness of knowledge and wisdom. This is Colossians mm-hmm. 2 or 1 Corinthians 12, both of which are key passages for Augustine. We read those and we nod our heads in agreement, but it means something so much deeper to Augustine than it does for us. It, it is a mm-hmm. metaphysical essential for Augustine, as well as uh, a salvation essential, as well as a Trinitarian essential, as well as all these other things. Uh, so I just don't think you can overemphasize the Christological centrality of wisdom. Mm. It reminds me uh, one of the one of the great quotes uh, that you have. This is actually towards the end on two hundred eight. Augustine's view of the creation wisdom intersections sees all of created reality held together by the linchpin of God made man, who accounts for the harmony uh, between time and eternity, physicality and spirituality, action and contemplation, movement and stillness, scientia and sapientia, knowledge and wisdom. To remove Christ is to collapse the edifice of Augustine's thought. Um, yeah. So so. It's a powerful line that really captures how, you know, when I think about wisdom, I just, you know, I think about making a good choice Um, (laughs) and or, you know, something like that. Oh, well, he's a he's a wise person. Actually, in French, we say il est sage uh, and it means like he's he's a good boy Um, and and sort of or a nice boy or something like that. Um, And it's it's almost I mean, not not being pedantic, but it's a little it's like it's a very uh, it it just falls off the tongue. It's used all the time. And we we might give a little more. kind of um weight to it but it right. still feels like ah, he's right. just being he's being good right right doing the right thing kind of stuff and it's yeah. it, you know so much of um and i don't want to discount this so like just having really good and fun long-lasting conversations with old testament colleagues or something and they'll approach wisdom as well it's the skill of life and i don't mm. i don't discredit that at all of course it is but it's it's a lot more than that too um, and we can talk more about that if, if you want to take it that direction. But it is for Augustine, this whole notion of wisdom and how it connects with Christ. It is he, he reads a lot like I think for um, for evangelicals. And here we are as, as evangelicals, even Southern Baptists. We we get super excited in Colossians 1, 15 and following as we should. I think Augustine is still just as excited at Colossians 2, 3. Maybe he gets most. Maybe the climax for him is Colossians 2, mm. 3, whereas for many of us, it's Colossians 1, 15 through 18 or something. Mm. Yeah, that's a good. It's a good way to put it. And and I mean, you know, so what? One of my questions you basically just asked that was where does the what are the biblical uh, places that Augustine returns to? Um, and but that's also just one. And and you used a few there. And uh, it just reminds me we were talking earlier about what what struck us about Augustine and just how replete his theology is with scriptural language. Um, you know, to some extent, the the confessions just are Augustine telling the uh, the 
the the story of a life in biblical language. Um, and to some, you know, there, there's a sense in which it's Augustine's story, but there's a sense in which it's the story of the church. It's every man's story. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so that's where the biblical references make it seem like it, he's he's almost repatterned the scriptures uh, in like there's there's this old. Um, uh, there's this old uh, parlor game that apparently the, the the upper classes used to play where they would retell the story of the Aeneid or the Odyssey in, in, in different lines. And they would see who could quote what back and forth at each other. And they called them yeah. Chen. And then sometimes they put them in Chentos. And so there's there's a story. There's early um, Christians who told the story of Christ with uh, the um, the Vir- like Vir- with Virgil, um, so Proba is this female author from uh, the fourth century, and she tells the whole story of Christ using uh, lines from Virgil. Wow! And it's almost like uh, what Augustine does. I just I was just thinking about this. It's like almost like what Augustine does when he tells the story of his life. He's like, how can I use scripture to tell my own story yeah. um, or something? Yeah. And and so it's like almost every page, almost every line feels like a scriptural quotation. Yeah. Um, and same with his doctrine of wisdom. It just is uh, uh, a, a kind of pulling together of his understanding of wisdom in scripture. Yeah, absolutely right. So uh, two thoughts on that quickly. One, uh, I asked one of my doctoral supervisors one time, I said, hey, why don't we um, why don't we like put together an, an entire glossary of all the biblical references from Augustine just so that, you know, so that people can have that as a nice resource. And he just shook his head and he said, you're crazy. <laughs> it's impossible. I mean, it's just, there's, no, there's no way to know. He, he just he laces the language of Scripture into his sentences without without letting you know so often and, and how I mean for him I'm sure he realized it but in some cases he, he's just he's just using the language of the Bible it'd be impossible to sort of pull out all of those biblical shadows and references and, and illustrations and what have you it's just it's just all over in a way that shames I'll go, I'll go back to our own crowd here as evangelicals uh, it, it just it shames us here we are supposedly the people of the Bible uh, but I don't know any evangelical author of any era that we could say has laced as much scripture through his or her prose the way that someone like St. Augustine did. Um, yeah. And then when it comes to wisdom, you know, when I, I sort of just really in God's God's grace and providence leaned into Augustine for this, and I didn't realize until later that even still to this day, and, and Chad, correct me if I'm wrong here, but no theologian that I know of, dead or alive, um, has j- just uh, the sheer quantity of references to wisdom irrespective mm. of how many words they wrote or how few words they wrote, just the sheer quantity and quota of references to wisdom. Uh, even Aquinas doesn't, and he wrote more than Augustine, but he doesn't say as much about wisdom. And wisdom is important for Aquinas, uh, but it's not as central. Or someone else like uh, a lesser known, like Lactantius, who says mm. a lot about wisdom as well. He doesn't write nearly as much, but even still, no one has said more about wisdom uh, than has St. Augustine. And I don't think that that's a mere coincidence relative to the amount of influence that he's had over the centuries. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. I mean, I remember when I picked up your book, I was like, you know, you and one we use wisdom so often, we think we know what it means, or we th- like it's like it's it can be one of those words that we can easily uh, gloss over. Um, one of the 
and to kind of maybe to illustrate this again, I think I was most interested in, in chapter four, but uh, you start chapter four with a quote from Augustine's Confessions. Uh, and I, if, if I remember correctly, yeah, it's a, a book 12. So also a book that, uh, you know, people te- we tend to read uh, books one through nine and leave uh, mm-hmm. 10 to 13 to the experts or something. Um, but that's really where Augustine digs in on wisdom. Um, and he's uh, so just a quick quote from uh, from the confessions here. Uh, the wisdom of which I speak is a created wisdom, the intellectual order of being, which by contemplating the light becomes light itself. Uh, Wisdom is called, but it is a created wisdom, and there's a vast difference between light as a source and that which is lit up by another. The difference is just as great between, and then here's the difference, wisdom that creates, with a capital W, uh, and the wisdom that has been created. Uh, Well, then, the first of all creatures was wisdom, understood in this way, created wisdom, which is the rational, intelligent mind of your chaste city. Um, And so uh, to me, that that's one way in which we we realize, okay, you can't just assume that you know what he's talking about uh, if you're just using our kind of easy gloss on wisdom as like being good or being kind or being smart or, you know, uh, something like that. Like you, you really go, wait a minute, he's got something he, he's working on a whole number another level here. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, a whole another level is a great uh, sort of metaphor there because there are what I might call three um, three dimensions or three uh, approaches to wisdom here. You might say so. He he speaks of wisdom in three very distinct ways, and maybe a, a better place. So the the, the quote from uh, Confessions twelve it's illustrative and helpful, but he's more clear in in on the Trinity or De Trinity. Mm-hmm. 12 through 14, because that's where he begins to separate uh, the scientia versus sapientia stuff. So there you really begin to see how this plays out in his metaphysical scheme. But also in in book 14 of De Trend, he opens that book by saying, OK, I'm no longer talking about the wisdom that is God. I'm mm-hmm. now talking about wisdom in humankind. And that is the mm-hmm. created kind of wisdom. Now, the three different kinds of wisdom for clarity or the three different approaches or dimensions here are there is wisdom that is God. It, it is the very essence and nature of God. Um, it, there's also wisdom that is the person of Jesus. This is 1 Corinthians 1.24. Uh, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 12.8. This is Colossians 2.3. And then just to round that out, there's four passages for Augustine. It's sort of a four-legged stool in terms of uh, the passages that really uphold his view of wisdom, those three that I just mentioned, and Job 28, 28, which he translates, the worship of God is wisdom in humankind or something along those lines. But when he talks about those these three, so wisdom in God, wisdom that is Christ, and then wisdom in humankind, that third one is the created one. Now, mm. sometimes he'll use language that when he's talking about wisdom that is Jesus, he'll use language that make us nervous because here we are sitting this side of Chalcedon. (laughs) I don't think at any point, I don't think, and and it's really just remarkable that Augustine is not at, you know, he's, he's sort of anticipating these, these Christological um, uh, controversies and councils. Of course it's taking place. So he dies before Ephesus in 431 He's not there, of course. He's not at uh, Chalcedon in 451. He's alive while some of the conversations are going on, but he doesn't He doesn't give to us a dedicated Christology. He gives us an on the Trinity, and buried in the middle of it is his Christology. But it's mm-hmm. amazing how even as nuanced as those conversations are, the whole Nestorian controversy, as nuanced as all of that is, 
he never seems to really fall off the tightrope. He seems to walk that very, very carefully and does so almost blindfolded. Like he, <laughs> some of those conversations are not happening right around him and they continue to happen after him. And he, he still doesn't seem to fall off that tightrope, even though he'll use language at times uh, that make us a little bit nervous with Jesus. Now, when it comes to that with that created wisdom, what he means by that, and he, I don't think that this is a, uh, a massive um, allusion to Proverbs 8. I, I don't, I could be wrong about that. I do think there's some of that going on, but I think it's more of a a simple point relative to the fact that the kind of wisdom that we are called to walk in and that we are called to cultivate, it is one that has its ground and its source in God himself and in the person of Jesus. But at the same time, we are called to cultivate wisdom and to be wise in the sense that as creatures and this sense of, uh, this is where uh, he quotes from the wisdom of Solomon, and he'll say that wisdom has left traces of herself in everything that's been made. It's where wisdom has been sort of woven into the grain of the, of the world, the grain of the ground, the, the warp and woof of creation, you might say. And that we are called to live and walk uh, and love and desire and everything else in accordance with that. And insofar as we do that, uh, we exercise wisdom in the right way. That, that's part of what he's talking about as well. Yeah, and I wonder, like, to some extent, like, we, we make these uh, distinctions which are really helpful in getting a handle on all the different ways uh, that Augustine might be using the word, but also, they're in a sense, they're almost connected. Like, as humans exercise wisdom in this world, part of what they're doing is participating in the very structure of reality. So, to some extent, like... Uh, you know, in at our house, we have chickens and we have uh, compost and I love to read Wendell Berry. Um, and, and so, you know, it's sort of like what we were trying to do. One of the things that, that he sa ha says in The Unsettling of America is like he says, essentially, you know, uh, we forget uh, that we have, um, you know, sort of production, consumption and return. Um, mm -hmm. And we just think it all goes to the landfill or it all goes in the trash. But like we try to, you know, my wife and I and try to teach our kids a little bit about like, okay, composting or returning the things back yeah. to the earth. And so there's a sense in which we're participating in the wisdom in which yeah. the world was created by recognizing these patterns and not assuming that there's just destruction um, yeah. and, and yeah. that there's just like, oh, you know, well, that's just garbage. Um, yeah. Well, no, they're like, if, if we really imitate the world in which, in the way in which it was created, we'll be being wise. Um, yeah. Um, but that is also living into the wisdom of the creator. That's exactly right. The language of participation, Chad, is so critical here. And that's and that's both beca because for, for Augustine and not just Augustine, but this whole sort of participatory ontology, which I'm not trying to get, you know, not trying to talk about all the, the fancy words. But the reality is when we, we oftentimes, even at our best, we think about uh, being wise or exercising wisdom only on this sort of horizontal plane. Mm where, look, let's do live according to the design of the creator and so on. And that's exactly right. But for Augustine, it doesn't stop. It doesn't even start on that horizontal plane. But insofar as we, in our bodies, uh, live out wisdom in the truest sense, it is part of our spirituality. This is where Augustine will use this language of we turn, we go upward inward. So the degree mm -hmm. to which we, in our bodies, actually in the flesh, live wisely in the created world it actually, uh, this is how we ascend in contemplation towards God. It's part of our participation in God, part of our participation in Christ, the person of Christ, and part of how Christ manifests his will and way in our bodies. And it is very much this sort of 
uh, for lack of a better term, this sort of exitus et reditus. It is this sort of, mm-hmm. we are doing it this way in this horizontal sense, but it also is, um, is elevating us in contemplation spiritually towards God. Now, I'm not sure if I like that part of Augustine. We can talk about that critically, <laughs> but, that, but that is part of it. For Augustine, as we live wisely in the world, we actually go upward towards God as we turn inward, recognizing how the God is, how we're participating in God and how he's working through us in those ways. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. I mean, I, I may want to ask you about the, uh, cri- one of my questions is about the criticism of Augustine. Um, but uh, it, it, oh, one thing that I should say for listeners, we are going to have Jordan Wood come on and talk a little bit about the Christological controversies. So he's written on Maximus the Confessor. Uh, to, to some extent, we haven't really done a lot of fifth century uh, stuff. So um, yeah, so so uh, Dr. Quinn, Ben here has helped us sort of realize where Augustine is historically. So before Christians had really worked through the these questions of what does it mean for Christ to be fully God and fully human? Uh, Those are sort of difficult because we want to, you know, we want to preserve the divinity. We want to preserve the humanity without collapsing one into the other. And so there's a lot of very careful thinking that's done. Um, So I'm, I'm, I'm working through Dr. Wood's book um, and it is uh, it's, it's been a bit of a bear. Uh, He's, he's, he's working on another level uh, to some extent, like you are here on wisdom. Um, And I, 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 sometimes I just, I'm like, Oh, I'm just a poor little like philologist or something. Like I, I, I don't know that I can uh, fully understand what's going on. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. So, but these, but Augustine is working kind of before those major conversations had taken place. But it does seem like wisdom is a fascinating uh, thing for Augustine that I had never realized. And again, until I read your book, like where, like wisdom in some ways almost feels like a uniting concept um, where like, you know, we talk like the hypostatic union is this is the phrase that we come to use from Chalcedon on the question of how does humanity and divinity relate into the single person of Christ. Right. So we, we want to preserve his oneness and his unity um, and, and, but, but, but not collapse the distinction. So uh, the Cyril comes up with this hypostatic union, Uh, but there's, there's, it seems like a, a way in which Augustine is very careful to talk about wisdom in, in a bunch of different ways, but it's also a kind of uniting concept for him. I, I don't know. I'll let you respond to that. But it, it, I had never realized just how many different ways he was working with wisdom that like you could almost see as anticipating some of those questions of how do we hold together the uniqueness of these things, but also the oneness of all yeah. these things. Yeah, th- this is where we, we do have to be really clear. And, and I don't pretend to understand everything Augustine's trying to say, but let me let me say it as best I understand it and then try to respond respond to it. Hopefully I'm interpreting him well. So I'm okay using the language of, uh, I want to be careful, but I'm I'm okay saying that Christ is what we might call the conjunction and conduit of all of creation. Here's what I don't mean by that. I'm not talking about conjunction the way Nestorius talks about the conjunction uh, with respect to the divine and human natures in the person of Jesus. And nor is that what Augustine is talking about. I'm talking about, and I'm talking about in a broader metaphysical sense, Keeping in mind, for Augustine, <clears throat> he has this sort of Neoplatonic three-story, up, you know, top to bottom in terms of priority view of the world. And what's at the top of that is uh, the eternal realm. That's where God is. Uh, that's where the ideas are, the divine ideas are. That's where the, the realm of stillness is and simplicity. So that's that top realm. Let's jump to the bottom realm then. And also that top realm is the realm of sapientia. To jump to fall to the bottom realm, then this is the realm of skientia. So this is the realm of movement. This is the realm of knowledge. Not not wisdom. knowledge is at the bottom. Wisdom is at the top. 
Um, this is the realm of bodies and material world, that kind of thing. And then in the middle is that so it's where our souls are. It's where angels are. It's where um, sometimes it's where kind of things are floating somewhere in between. Now, when it comes to the person of Christ, I'm not talking about the the, the uniting of the uh, the divine and human nature with respect to conjunction. What when Augustine reads Colossians, let's go back to that Colossians. How in Christ all things hold together, and then in verses uh, chapter two, verse three, in Him is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's where you have to back up and think about this metaphysical scheme of Augustine. That in Jesus, only because of Jesus, does that top realm and that bottom realm and that middle realm and whatever other realm might exist that only holds together rather than just utterly dissolve apart because of the person of Jesus, the incarnate Christ. Now, he's not, again, that's not a commentary on how the, the divine and human natures relate to one another. It's a comment, it's a slight commentary with wisdom being that central piece and Jesus being the power and the wisdom of God that holds all of reality together. So, insofar as we're clear about this is a metaphysical comment and less a, an incarnation comment, yeah. um, Jesus is the conjunction and conduit. The reason I want to use the language of conduit is because he is the way. That's kind of back to the point, Christ the yeah. way. So in uh, it, it's in Day Trend, I think it's maybe book 12, where he says, um, in him or through him, we travel upwards. He talks about the inward upward thing. He says, neither neither moving, uh, moving to the left or to the right, but we travel through him upward in contemplation toward God. So that's mm-hmm. where only because Christ is uh, fully divine, fully human, everything that it means to be God and everything that it means to be a human being, that all of reality holds together. And he becomes then the way, the the, the, the uh, sort of the conjunction, what holds it all together, but also the way or the conduit through which we travel to God. <laughs> some heady stuff, uh, some heady stuff for July 5th on a 10 a.m. <laughs> at 10 a.m. I like it. <laughs> I, I hope that's uh, helpful. And I'm, I'm open yeah. to I'm wide open to a correction there if I'm mis- misreading him. But oh, I, huh. it, it is something where I, 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 I'm careful to use the language of conjunction because it's historically loaded. You know, that's that's yeah. an immediate red flag to any uh, any sort of Nestorian concerns. And I totally get that. But that's where yeah. I want to say this is not a comment about how the divine and human natures relate. This is about yeah. how all of reality holds together in the person of Jesus. And so if we can yeah. separate those things with clarity, then let's talk about it. If not, let's find a better word, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, just as a side comment, it is also one of the general difficulties of working with a rhetorician. Um, yeah. And and yeah. so part of what uh, some of the kind of the work that I try to do is to see how rhetoric has shaped Augustine's theology. Um, and, and so, you know, we tend to, uh, you know, post-Aquinas and post-Protestant scholasticism and all the rest of it, we're very careful with our distinctions and you know yeah. i and and so in augustine not not necessarily in day trin i mean he is trying to be more systematic there yeah. but at other times you know i mean augustine is just using whatever word comes to his mind to kind of connect with people um mm-hmm. and is less concerned with the possibility that you know sort of you know we'll, we'll say well is it a technical term it is sir i'm not i'm not disagreeing with you about your reading of of day trin but but it's also just one of those fun 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 and frustrating uh things yeah. about augustine well, does he mean the same thing here <laughs> yeah that's so true because if he has to lean in one if he has to go for technical precision versus rhetorical flair probably eight and a half times out of ten he's yeah. leaning towards the rhetorical flair day trend is that unique place though as you just said yeah. so well that's that's where augustine who is the an occasional theologian meaning the, the theologian for the occasion 
this is the place where this is where Rowan Williams says, if ever there was a gratuitous work in Augustine's corpus, it's De Trent. This is mm -hmm. one where he wasn't probably asked or he may have been asked, but he doesn't he's not doing this because he's responding to controversy so much. He's doing this because he thinks it will be helpful for the church. And he writes this only a only a few years after he has said, you'd have to be crazy to take up a work on the Trinity. <laughs> but apparently feels the need that I probably should offer this. I think it would be a gift to the church. And so this is where you get the most systematic um, treatment from Augustine and, and on the most important topic, I think. And here, I think you also see Augustine is so he is such an exegete. Now, you know, he's not a modern exegete the way that we think about it, but he, he is very much uh, exegeting scripture all the way through. But at the same time, he has you might want to imagine it as the Bible in one hand and Nicaea, the Nicene Creed in the other hand. And he's exegeting the scriptures and exegeting the tradition hand in hand and working these things through. So even sometimes we may not even realize that he's he's leaning into the metaphors or the language of Nicaea, um, especially when he talks about light or even the, the quote that you read from Confessions. There's the difference between the light that is the source versus the light that is illuminated. Well, this he's just drawing from the tradition on this and the language that he's been given there. Yeah. Well, um, uh, sort of in the interest of time, I'll uh, I will kind of move towards the end of my questions. So what uh, you know, so towards the end of the book, you talk about um, more Hebraic concepts of wisdom, and 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 ultimately this becomes your question uh, about Augustine: Is he too inward and upward, um, it, rather than uh, sort of in the world enough? Um, and so I don't know. Could you say a little bit of something about like so what what do we you know where are the ways in which Augustine Augustine's exegesis, maybe in your mind, fails him, uh, like because it does seem like you 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 move in that direction of like, yeah, I don't think he really understands exactly how wisdom is working in the Old Testament um, entirely, um, and so you sort of bring in some some other ways to kind of correct a little bit, um, and and maybe maybe even it's just a question of emphasis, or maybe you know it's less like he just they're just wrong, but maybe you know I don't know uh, yeah. if you if you want to speak to that a little bit. Yeah. So this is where, um, you know, I, I really, really love Augustine and I want to learn from him, but at the same time, he's a, he's a man. And so where, where is he right? Where is, where is maybe he missing the mark on some things? So one of my supervisors, doctoral supervisors is a, a guy by the name of Craig Bartholomew and Craig, mm -hmm. Uh, the, one of the reasons that I wanted to study with him is because I love how he writes on wisdom. And so his his own doctoral work was in the area of Ecclesiastes and hermeneutics mixed with uh, philosophy. Um, but but following that, he's written a lot on wisdom, including a theological introduction to uh, to the wisdom literature. But also it pulls into the New Testament and Christological connections there. So the, as Craig and I talked a lot about wisdom during that time and have continued to do so, um, a couple of the things that that really um, were of, cure, of concern for me was how little Augustine will lean into what we tend to think of as the wisdom literature. Now, I realize that category may not have even been in his mind, and I, and I credit Will Kynes for good work there and all that. But um, at the same time, I mean, even, even in the fifth century, uh, one would have thought of the, the, the literature of Proverbs, for example, mm -hmm. as a go-to place for wisdom. And Augustine doesn't deal a lot with Proverbs. Now, Job 28, 28 is a key passage mm -hmm. for him. Um, but in terms of how he pieces his, uh, his doctrine of sapientia together, what we think of as the wisdom literature barely features in there. And instead, what features is a lot of Paul. Mm -hmm. And I just wondered why that was. So th these are just 
these are just sort of thoughts and suggestions here. These are, I mean, I don't have this put together in such a way as to completely debunk anything about Augustine, nor would I want to. But I can't help but think that the reason that Augustine leans so much into Paul's writings, as opposed to the earthiness of something like Proverbs or even portions of the Psalms, is because it accommodates his philosophy. It accommodates his metaphysic a whole lot better. So there is a place that he has a sermon on the, on the Proverbs 31 woman. A guy named Al Walters has a, an interesting commentary on that. Um, and this is part of Augustine's mature work. This is not his early stuff. And in his commentary on Proverbs 31, this is a place where, in my mind, um, the whole of Proverbs really comes together. And in this woman, Proverbs 31, who, who fears the Lord, who uh, sort of exercises wisdom in all of these earthy kind of ways. And I think it really is. It's a beautiful image of sort of that Hebrew vision of how to live embodied in this created world. Um, and Augustine spiritualizes the heck out of this thing. And while, you know, while I so enjoy, I always enjoy kind of following Augustine's thought here, but, but I was, I'm really disappointed in that part, honestly. And, and maybe I'm misunderstanding him here, but I, I just think there was, there's such an opportunity to actually dig into what it means to live in the, in the body, in this created world and to exercise wisdom. But he, he can't, it's as though he can't let himself go that direction. He has to pull it back into the spiritual and then bring it up to the, the sort of contemplative. And, it, and I think that that's an underdeveloped muscle for Augustine. He, because of that, you might say that sort of light or loose Neoplatonic flame framework that he's still committed to, that at the end of the day, what's what's best, the highest value is always the spiritual value. So there is there is still that that even if limited dualism, what's most important, the highest priority and the greatest amount of value is always that which is up. So it, as, as my supervisor would say, it pulls our feet. His wisdom ultimately pulls our feet off the ground, as mm-hmm. opposed to the wisdom of Scripture in toto seems to actually put our feet more firmly on the ground. And in a Wendell Berry kind of fashion, as you mentioned a minute ago, it, we actually understand what it means to tend the garden better. Uh, and that mm. means literally tend the garden, not just metaphorically tend the garden or right. spiritually tend the garden. And that, those are not either ors. They ought to be both ends altogether. But for Augustine, most of the time, I think those become either ors. And the preference is always on the spiritual side of that. So that's where yeah. I, I would want to I want to bring him into conversation with um, the neo-Calvinists, some of the Dutch Reformed thinkers. So I, I really appreciate uh, Kuiper and Bob Inc., uh, Al Walters, I mentioned a minute ago. Um, Craig, my supervisor, is, is kind of a leading spokesperson for this tradition. And there's many others there. There was a there was an article written uh, in 77, I think, around 77. And this was a presentation first given at Tyndall House and then was published in the Tyndall, Tyndall Bulletin, um, where um, uh, Chad, bear with me, I'm trying to remember remember his name. Um uh, French, French American or uh, a theologian taught at Ted's for a long time. Um, I'll think of it in a minute. Anyway, you can edit this portion. Uh, uh, but he, he wrote a wrote Bray? an article. Say it again. Is Gerald Bray? He, he no, it's not Bray. But... Um, Henri. Uh, that may be that may not be right. I'll think of it in a minute. I don't I'll know. Just... Um, but he wrote he wrote this he gave this presentation and then wrote this article on what is the basically the core principle of wisdom and he just mm-hmm. walks through old testament all the way to new testament just just a really careful kind of biblical theology old testament to new testament he gets to the end of it in the end of his article he says and he says in conclusion you know most conclusions try to wrap things up or close things up but i actually want to open things up 
<clears throat> and similar to what Carey does with his sort of kicking up the dust article, um, this gentleman does the same by saying, I think that there are a few conversation partners that really need to talk to uh, Augustine. He deals with Augustine in this at the end. And he says, I think that there's some conversation partners that really need to be part of this discussion. And one of them that he mentions is the Dutch Reformed crowd. He taught, he mentions um, Kuiper. He mentions uh, Doyabeard, who's sort of the philosophical side of that tradition. And he just says, I think that there's something there that the Augustinian tradition and the Dutch Reformed tradition that they might want to come talk about this, even though the Dutch Reformed are much more critical of anything that comes anywhere close to smelling platonic. <laughs> uh, he's just saying, I, I, and, and I think his reason for that was um, because it's such a faith first, a faith forward, a faith seeking understanding type of tradition. Uh, I said, I think that those two need to come together. And then he ends his article. And mm. that's one of the places where I want to say, look, he, he said that in, I think it was 77, 78. Well, it's, it's high time that we have that conversation. And I, and I want to pull those conversation partners even closer, not just about wisdom, but about other things as well. And I think that helps keep Augustine honest. Um, but I think also Augustine helps to push that, the Kuyperian tradition of the Dutch Reformed, even farther into a healthy spirituality in the process. Yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, and Philip Carey does, I mean, uh, Philip Carey wrote a couple books on Augustine. We we were able to have him on the podcast and talk a little bit about his criticisms of of um what he sort of I think he calls it the the sort of epistemic side of Plato versus the metaphysical side of Plato mm-hmm. um, and he sort of says like some of the things that Augustine draws on from Plato he you know classical theism and these sort of things are exactly right uh, but he doesn't think that Augustine, I mean, he ultimately thinks we should just move past Augustine, um, and 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 you know, so in his uh, the meaning of Protestant theology draws heavily on Luther here, um, and says that that Luther will really help us, uh, uh, will learn to hear uh, the word, um, and so. But it just reminds me that uh, you know. I wanted to have him on because I was curious uh, uh, to talk to someone who had such strong criticism of Augustine because I spent most of my life just trying to uh, uh, understand Augustine himself and and usually in a way that tries to move it in a more – I mean, not not exactly a defender of Augustine, but to some extent, yes, um, and think that that he that he's helpful. So yeah, but I think I think that's right. I mean, I think there's always these questions, and it is it's like you know another way to state kind of what you've said was um, in I'm I'm writing some stuff on a, on Augustine's sermons on Mary and Martha, where he talks about the active and the contemplative life, and he you know he's like, well, we're glad uh, that Martha serves in this world, but ultimately uh, Mary has chosen the better part, um, and you sit. <laughs> at the feet of Christ and you contemplate um, and that's that's where you're going um, and so you, you could see that like you know like you said he, he does seem to set up uh, uh, a, you have to make a choice here um, and you choose Mary every time <laughs> yeah yeah no that's exactly right and and it's that's a, it's a great point Augustine leaning into um, Mary sitting at the feet that is always he's created an either or but I think the whole of the scriptures would say there are there is a time to get up and to serve. Um, yeah. And that's where and, and honestly, I wonder if I wonder how much Augustine would disagree with what we're saying, you know, if we could have direct conversation with him. But at the end of the day, I think where it would come down to is, am, are we going to adopt his metaphysic or not? Because I think mm-hmm. that becomes the tipping point yeah. where he's so committed to the metaphysic uh, that he has to place the higher value on those things that are spiritual. And that's also that, that many of the many of those thoughts and much of that discussion is so foreign to us 
as moderns or even postmoderns, we just don't think metaphysics first. Whereas for Augustine, and I do think this is wise for him, he recognized how important having a proper philosophy was to a proper and thick theology, whereas mm -hmm. we just don't think that way. But that's also an area where we could definitely learn from Augustine. Yeah. Well, um, I have greatly enjoyed our time. I, I told you we'd take an hour and we've gone on much longer than an hour. So I, I appreciate you uh, indulging my questions. I know you've got a lot going on uh, at, at uh, Southeastern, but um, yeah, it's been an honor and a privilege to have uh, Dr. Ben Quinn um, and uh, his book with Lexham Press is Christ the Way, Augustine's Theology of Wisdom um, and with a great little forward by Lewis Ayers. Um, I know quite a few students of Lewis Ayers at this point, um, and uh, they always do good work. So, um, yeah, so thank you very much. I, I guess I could offer you this. Uh, anything else that you'd like to, to say or to add? And, uh, and we can – I think that's probably uh, – you know, at, at this point, we'd have to make two podcasts if we go on too much longer. But. <laughs> uh, first of all, Henri Blochet. That's who I was trying to okay. think of. Henri Blochet. Um, so The Fear of the Lord as the Principle of Wisdom was published in the Tyndall Bulletin in 1977. So okay. if you want to edit that back in, Andre Blissier okay. wrote a fantastic little article, Kicking Up Further the Dust Here, and says the Augustinians should talk to the Dutch Reformed. I think there's a good conversation to be had. So that's part of what I want to pull together. Okay. Um, in terms of anything to leave with, uh, first of all, um, read the confessions, you know, live with the confessions. Don't, don't let it replace your Bible by any means. But uh, as, as one professor said to me years ago, you will find yourself in the confessions. And that's very, very true. And mm -hmm. at the same time, uh, I'll leave you with my dad's comment of be, be wise men and women and make, make wise decisions. Very good.